Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is the This is the Skate Podcast with your host, WEEI.com Bruins writers, Brian DeFelice, Bridget Crew, and Scott McLaughlin. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 185 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Crew and Scott McLaughlin, and I would off the top, have mentioned how Bridges in Montreal, but this is like the sixth time we've tried recording this episode due to Wi-Fi issues and some of us are international. So Bridget is up in Montreal. She traveled for the 82nd game of the year, her first time to the Bell mm-hmm. Center. Bridget, for the 12th time, enlighten myself, Scott, and the listeners for the first time, just how great your trip has been. Yeah, I'll tell you guys again. Uh, it was incredible. Everything went pretty much as smoothly as possible. The weather was perfect. You never know in April in Montreal. I've been here in April and it's you know been sleeting or snowing or 32 degrees. It was like 70. Uh, it, weather was nice enough to hike Montreal and see the city. And um, even for the Bruins, it wasn't a pretty win, but they got the wind at the end of the day. So um successful trip successful stop at hill farmstead to get some beer for you guys um and everyone else that asked me for a beer <laughs> um but yeah guys overall uh really really successful trip and now i got to say saw the you know the last game there my first game at the bell center um and got to talk to some of the guys after the game as well that hill farmstead stop that was really the most important part of it at least what I cared most about that was because we we were originally planning this trip last year and then COVID canceled it so we didn't get to go but that was that was really more important than the than the hockey so looking forward to uh to getting that and mm-hmm. yeah but you know I think I spent with I think I spent four hundred dollars at Hill Farmstead <laughs> so most of it was Scott. <laughs> that's right so Bridget was in Montreal tonight because it was the Bruins final game of the year so this history setting regular season has finally come to a close the Bruins finished the year 65 wins 12 losses 5 overtime losses for 135 points they defeat the Canadians they're Long-time rival 5-4 to four in a beer league-style game. Appreciate that for the 82nd game of the year. A little something to watch. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that game for sure. Um, not to bury the lead, we also know who the Bruins' first-round playoff opponent is this year. And to Scott's delight, it's not the New York Islanders. It is indeed the Florida Panthers. Um, so 
we'll we'll get into all that. I'm sure we'll we'll speak again too before before game one. But uh, Bridget Scott, thoughts on on the Bruins closing the regular season and looking forward to to Monday night. Yeah, I mean, I I thought that this was a game where you know obviously they they already have the record, so it's like, what are you really trying to do in this last game? What do you want to accomplish? Obviously, most importantly, it was just stay healthy. You know, I know there was some debate over you know should they play guys, should they not? I always thought all along that they were going to play guys because they wanted to have them in some rhythm and not be rusty, and I think like everyone that they wanted to get rest, they had already done that. You know, they had built that in for everyone over the last few weeks. The guys who were even at all banged up or sick, they didn't play. Krejci stayed back. Allmark didn't travel. No has been sick. He didn't play. Um, and everyone else did. And then, you know, you get the minor scare, I guess, of, or, you know, originally could have been a bigger one of Bergeron leaving the game in the first period with an upper body injury and the Bruins in their announcement said precautionary, right? Like in the tweets. So, you know, they were clearly trying to make sure people didn't freak out. Montgomery said after the game that he's fine. So it seems, you know, I guess knock on wood that everyone came out of it pretty healthy. Um, And they get a win. They just do what they usually do. They find a way to win. Even when the game's ugly, even when they don't really have a lot going on and, think they played particularly great um but it's enough to now you know they finished the season on an eight game winning streak so they obviously should be feeling pretty good about themselves uh going into game one against florida who you know florida had reeled off six straight wins to get themselves ahead of the penguins and then lose their last two and you know end up as the second wild card when they they had a chance to be the first um so, you know, we can get into that more as we go. And, yeah, I stand by it. Like, I would still rather face the Panthers than just for, for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Yes, of course. Um, to, to hit on the Bergeron thing, because obviously this was a meaningless game for both teams. Um, Bruins had the reasons to um, play guys to make sure, you know, they were playoff ready, weren't going to get rusty or whatever. But um, the main thing for – the 82nd game of the year is that you just don't want to see anyone get hurt. So um, when Bergeron left the game and they say, even though they say precautionary, I feel like it's still kind of perks like your ears that he, he didn't um, get to come back for the second. And one of the things Montgomery said was that he wanted to come back, which was my hunch (laughs) that he said he wanted to come back. Um, But Montgomery told him no, that he was staying out. Um, which I'm kind of surprised about a little bit because usually kind of just lets Bergeron do what, whatever he wants. Um, so, I mean, if it was precautionary, then it was Montgomery that made the call. Um, I had tweeted earlier, like, I can't remember the last time Bergeron came out of the lineup for something precautionary. Like, that's just not how he is. So it's not surprising to hear that he wanted to go back in. It just doesn't make sense at this point in the year. Why risk it? Why why try to, you know, make it worse? Yeah, that, I mean, that's how I felt, uh, honestly. I, I just didn't – going into the game, I was wondering if maybe um, this is Bergeron's last time to play in Montreal. Obviously, the Canadians aren't a playoff team. Um, speculation about his future has been out there for a couple of years now. I think 
the last home game of the regular season with, with his with his children on the bench and I think in the media availability before the Canadians game, he just seemed a little bit more transparent about playing in, in Quebec and the older you get, how you know, the less opportunity you have to play. And I think he had some friends and family in the, in the arena tonight too. So mm-hmm. I was kind of curious if maybe that was additional incentive to have him play tonight because it could be his last game in Montreal. That said, it's like, okay, I respect that. I get it. He deserves that after 18 years, 19 years in the league. And I'm, hopefully it's not his last year, but if it is, I get that. But not not at the jeopardy of of potentially getting hurt for this playoff run. I I think it's irresponsible personally, and I'm glad that he's okay. I'm glad it was just precautionary. Uh, what if it wasn't? Like the Bruins are playing Monday night. It's Thursday, so to sit there and say we want to get everybody going before the playoffs and make sure that they don't they don't lose their stride. I mean, come on, is Patrice Bergeron going to lose his stride by not playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, going into Monday night? No, not happening. So. Uh, I didn't like the fact that he played and I feel a little bit vindicated because, you know, he did have to leave the game, but fortunately um, he is fine. But again, is he, is he ailing with something now going forward? Like the playoffs is a grind two months, God forbid, whatever he tweaked tonight pops back up in the playoffs. It's just why, why was he out there tonight? Mm -hmm. I just don't like it. Yeah, and in in the pregame, most I mean the French Canadian media mobbed Bergeron, and Sofia Yerkesvich had to like translate for me and some of the other English speaking reporters because she can speak French and English. Um, what all he was saying, and they were asking him about whether or not it was his last time playing there, and you know asking, oh, are you gonna come back another year? Which is it's kind of funny because it was a lot of questions we have already heard a long time ago, but all these French Canadian reporters, it was their first time getting a chance to talk to Patrice. So that was definitely on their mind when they were trying to do their reporting for the game. Yeah. I mean, I said in the last episode, like I didn't have a problem with guys playing just because I think this was planned out weeks in advance. It was guys that they wanted to rest and get games off. They've been doing that for weeks now. And the plan was always going to be these last two games, guys who could play, who weren't dealing with any sort of nagging injury were going to play. So I have no problem with them sticking to that plan. Um, said that last podcast, I still believe that. And yeah, if, if someone gets a little banged up, you do exactly what they did. You just take Bergeron out and say, all right, that's enough for the night. Like you, you got a period in good enough. Um, you know, they weren't going to be able to sit at anyone anyways with cap restraints. They, they might've been able to make maybe three more recalls because remember they, you know, they already used one on Bussy who didn't play because Allmark wasn't traveling. So, uh, you know, maybe like they could have sat a few guys and yeah, that could have been Bergeron, Pasternak and I don't know, Marshall or McAvoy, but like no matter what, you're going to have valuable players playing in that game. So I was fine with them sticking to their plan. Um, and, you know, had someone suffered a serious injury. Yes. It would have looked bad, but look, like at some point, like whether those guys are sitting now or last week or the week before, they still have to play games down the stretch. So, you know, there was always going to, there's always that risk. Like the Bruins have had a spot, have known exactly where they are in the playoff seating for a long time. So, you know, there could have been a serious injury at any point during the stretch 
and people, you know, not saying you, Brian, but like you would have had people saying like, oh, why was he playing? You know, if Pasnak got hurt two games ago, people would have said, why was he playing? Like, you know, it's one of those like you can't win. Like if anyone had suffered a serious injury at any point, people would have been on the Bruins for, you know, why was he playing when you already have the President's Trophy and the top seed and all that locked up. So I I think playing guys was fine. I was okay with it. Can I um I just want to jump in with the other like updates on guys for the first round. So um I asked coach this morning before the game about how Omar was doing today and he said um he's doing better and I think he's going to get on the ice tomorrow. So um plan is for Omar to to skate tomorrow. Um get on the ice again. I'm um, the original prognosis was that that was also precautionary. Um, but you know, it clearly had to be something slightly more than precautionary if he's doing better today. And, you know, he wasn't better immediately after they took him out. Like, um, so that, that kind of, I was, I was, um, just thinking of that in the back of my head, like, okay, doing better means something was wrong <laughs> rather than it being more of a precautionary thing. And that's also why when the Bergeron thing happened and it said precautionary, it was a little bit skeptical um, that they're truly precautionary um, or if they're just injuries that um, might be minor enough to keep playing, but they're actually, you know, there is actually something going on. So Allmark's supposed to be back on the ice tomorrow, which is Friday and Forbert and Felino were both skating. They both made the trip to Montreal Um Forbert, there was only four guys that took drills today. Uh, this morning for I was an optional skate. So Forbert, Zaboral, Felino, and Greer were the only guys on the ice. And um, Felino, we don't know, might be back for the first round. Um, we didn't have a chance to talk to him this week or this you know trip. Um, and Forbert, we'll see how he is. But it's it was interesting for me that he traveled. Um, usually injured guys don't travel with the team, but he, he came up to Montreal and was warming up and I got a chance to watch him for a little bit out there. Yeah. I feel like both of those guys are very close. Like the fact that they went on the road is to me kind of a sign that like, they're just about there, if not mm-hmm. already there. And you know, they're just held out because they're on long-term IR so it's entirely possible that like, both those guys are ready for game one, which then creates the question about, you know, do they both go right back in or does something need to happen? Because, you know, if you, if you line it up, assuming everyone else is healthy, that they're telling us, you know, don't worry about it. Like you're going to have Marcin Bergeron DeBrust, the check line, Hall Coyle Bertuzzi, presumably Frederick goes down to the fourth line with no second Hathaway. It's like no one in that, in those 12 forwards deserves to sit. So, you know, who does Felino go in for? Like, it's such a, it's such an incredible problem to have. And same thing on defense, like McAvoy, Grizzly, Carlo, Lindholm, Orlov, Clifton, all playing well. Their penalty kill has been great, even without Forbert. So is he a lock to go right back in? Like, not easy decisions for Montgomery to make to, I almost feel like the easiest decision is like, just keep rolling with what's been working. And, you know, those guys might have to wait until 
someone has an off game or gets banged up or, or whatever, but no matter what, like even just the fact that those guys are close and that you have basically all hands on deck for round one is pretty remarkable and an awesome situation for them to be in. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're really talking about what the game one lineup is for round one, because honestly there's going to be an injury or there's going to be, as you said, Scott, somebody who just didn't play up to snuff and, and, and somebody's going to go in for them at some point. So it's just the nature of the playoffs. Um, but my, honestly, your assumptions would have been mine, but I got to ask you, like, are we positive that, that the check line is going to be back intact for, for round one game one. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I actually like, I, I love that line. I think they've been great, but there's a couple of unknowns here. Number one, David Krejci hasn't played in how long. So does he need a couple of games to get himself going again? Not that he would be on a different line. I'm just saying like, it, it might take a little bit for them to get back to where they were. Right. And more notably, I'm a little surprised and a little disappointed too. Um, that we never that that Jim Montgomery never gave Coyle, Hall, and Bertuzzi an opportunity to to gain chemistry for a game at least. Not so now we're gonna go into the playoffs. If that check line goes back together, we're gonna enter the playoffs with a brand new line of Coyle, Hall, and Bertuzzi, which is great on paper, but they haven't had a second together. Why, why would why would Jim Montgomery, who far be it for me to question him this year, they just won sixty five games and he's pushed every right button, but why would he not at least try them for a period? Like, especially when Creech has been out this whole time, why was he so adamant on keeping, like, Bertuzzi, Pashnak, and Zaka or whatever? Like, why did he not just, for a game, just figure out something? So why did he have to have Bertuzzi on that second line the whole time? Like, for one game or a couple periods, could he not have just slid him down for just for a test run, just see how it goes? Like, especially when you've already locked up everything, all the records, why not tinker with it tonight? Yeah, you're right. Like, um, like we said, meaningless – it was – at the end of the day, it was a meaningless hockey game. They could have approached it whatever way they wanted to that they thought was going to help them best prepare for the playoffs. And I agree with you. I think it would have been better to actually get a look at the line that you're going to be rolling for that third line for the first time um, and just kind of kind of play with it a little bit, see, see how the chemistry is. Uh, they've practiced together, I believe, once or twice, but um, – it is kind of weird to me. And I was actually looking forward to seeing that line together. I thought that it, you know, we were going to see it at some point today, but uh, we still have yet to see it. I'm still excited. And I think it could work well, but I'm, I'm, I'm like you, Brian, kind of surprised that um, that wasn't the strategy. Cause wouldn't you think the strategy would be, first of all, make sure everybody's, you know, nobody's rusty. That's why we're not sitting. Everybody's kind of, you know, feeling playoff ready but also making sure if you're going to bring the whole roster, making sure that you have the guys playing where they're going to play in the first round. So you're right about that. Yeah. I mean, it, and even for like a few shifts Thursday night, mm -hmm. they could have easily done that because everything was jumbled up with Bergeron out for two periods. So, yeah. and they still, you know, I was just trying to look, but like, I don't think they got a shift together. Maybe a few, straight seconds but i mean like there was there was a shift of martian pasternak and debrusque like there was a shift without yep. a center so yep. I there was took that all draw. kinds of time yeah <laughs> uh they, i think they came 
No, do they go on the ice on the fly or maybe Martian? I mean, Martian I does so. take some face-offs, but I think it might have um, been Martian. Yeah. So like that, there was plenty of time to tinker, even just for a few shifts. So that is odd. And like Montgomery was asked about trying that line the other day, and <clears throat> he sort of gave like a weird response where, yeah, maybe I try that. And said something about like, yeah, like I hadn't really given it much thought. And it's like, I don't like, I can't tell if he's just like perking, you know, trying to give things or whatever. But yeah, it is really sad and proud, and they didn't try it. Yeah. And there was and also a shift with stretch. Hall Bertuzzi. Sorry, Scott, you were kind of cutting out. There's also a shift with Hall Bertuzzi and Lauco. Like why not? Why why not instead try the Hall Bertuzzi coil line? Like it, it was it was weird that that was what was on the ice at one point as well. Well, that's what that's why I posed the question. Like Scott Scott made the assumption that the check lines go back together, and I would make that assumption too. But that's why I posed the question. Like, it, is that line going back together? Like I don't know. I, I Scott, I think you made mention of a of a combination last episode that somebody mentioned of of. Krejci, Coyle, and Taylor Hall with perhaps Coyle on the wing. And I, I know that that that's probably not uh, ideal for Coyle, but I just I, I don't know why why would why would he why would Jim Montgomery ha- go into game one with the intention of playing Bertuzzi, Coyle, and Hall and not even get a single look of it. So I'm questioning if he's even considering that as a, as an option. Maybe he maybe he only. Maybe he doesn't even want to take Frederick off that line. Like I, I have no idea what he's thinking. I, I truly don't. But I don't know how you could not give that line a look. I, at all. If you intend on playing it, you're gonna go into the playoffs with a complete unknown of, of, a, of a trio. That makes no sense. That's irresponsible. So I'm wondering if he's even considering that line. And I mean, it is worth noting. I believe that they haven't announced their schedule yet for the weekend, but I'm guessing they're gonna have full practices Saturday and Sunday. So. They are going to have like two more full practices if they want to give it a shot. And I think you can build some chemistry in practice. So it's not totally lost, but still to have an opportunity to try it in the game. And you guys hear the train? I got a train going by. This is great. Yeah, I, I, did. Did. I thought um, that was the Bruins old goal horn. The Habs goal horn yeah, is cool. kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that definitely is. Yeah. Was there was there more you guys wanted to get into about Montreal or anything that happened? Obviously, Swayman made a really weird read, and he, he said after the game he was going to be working on his sprints because he thought he could outrace Pitlick to the puck, and he did not. And that ended up with the easiest goal of the season. <laughs> um, uh, essentially an empty net goal with Swayman completely nowhere but- near the net. Um, so Swayman said he has to work on his sprints. Which, by the way, yeah, and by the way, that was a goal that Pitlick made tougher than it had to be. Like, as crazy as Swayman coming out of the net like that was, Pitlick passes up a wide-open net for for some reason. So, yeah, just a weird play overall. Like, that's just classic Game 82 stuff where, you know, I think, (laughs) Brian, as you put it earlier, like a beer league game, like, no one really knows what they're doing out there. Yeah. No, was, and just was, don't do it in the playoffs. Just don't do it in the playoffs. Well, no, but the, the play Scott's talking about, they won't be in the playoffs. Uh, Montreal. Oh, no, I mean for Swayman. 
No, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that's, you know, when you have Allmark who's nursing an injury and you have chatter about, you know, possible goalie splits in the playoffs, like Scott said, um, you know, you, you, you gotta, you, you don't want, that's a stupid play. What are you doing? Like you, you, you have, you have a lot to play for coming up. That was just dumb and, and, and careless. And I just kind of, it kind of epitomized a lot of the sloppy play that the Bruins had. I mean, it was a, a shorthanded goal that Montreal scored where the Bruins coverage coming back was just lazy at best. Um, you hate to see that in game 82. I know, I know it was mentioned earlier. They've, they've won eight straight going into the playoffs. That's great. But um, that's not going to fly come Monday. So I, I'm not, I know they know that, but if I'm looking at this Montreal game in a, in a vacuum and, and I guess I would just say it was, it was a sloppy game. I mean, the Swayman play sucked. I didn't like that. I, I thought that they were kind of loose um, all over the ice. Pasternak gets a 61st goal of the year, so that's that's the official number number he'll end on. Pretty impressive stuff from him. But, Bridget, to answer your question, um, there's really not a whole lot to take from this game. It's just gear up for Monday. Yeah, the, the one last thing I'll say is that, and we've kind of hit on this already with the, the third line thing, if the if the goal was to make sure you got some things right before the playoffs, I felt like some things went wrong. Like th- there were some turnovers that it's like, okay, that's not like that doesn't look like what you're going to look like in the playoffs. Marshawn had a few really bad ones, and um, just in general, it it was almost like bad habits. We were seeing bad habits, and they were playing a different style. Um, McAvoy commented about it after the game. He said, um, you know, we had a lot of there was a lot of chances for the defenseman on the rush. And there were a lot of different plays that were happening in the game that um, are not going to happen in the playoffs because he said that the Canadians were playing looser than any team he can remember. So I kind of think just maybe their style of play dictated a weird situation for the Bruins. Yeah. And I think the power play is another area where they got sloppy, where it looked like they've, recently really turned a corner on the power play. They were six for their last 13 going into Thursday night. And then they go oh for six and only had two shots on goal. Now a, cu- a few of those power plays were abbreviated. They weren't full power plays, but still like, I-, I think you can erase one game and keep your power play on track, but that wasn't really the way you wanted to finish the year on the, on the power play. Like that was, they resorted to some just real sloppiness and turning pucks over and, and not making the right plays. I think the two shots came on the five on three. Like they had yeah. a five on three that, that what that didn't look great either, but um, they, they did have consecutive or not consecutive uh, coinciding penalties um, where Greer drew a cross check from Edmondson and um, it was also a delayed game penalty because the puck went over the glass. So they went right to a five on three and they didn't do much with that. Um, But that was probably the only time they got chances. They gave some chances up shorthanded, obviously the one goal. Um, So I don't think they made the best use of that last opportunity to get things right, see where things are um, before the end of the season. Yeah, that was that was another note from this game too, right? The five on three, um, lose momentum, and then obviously the shorthanded goal again. So, yeah, I mean that's uh, again is is that careless hockey in this eighty second game of the year? Maybe, but it's just like that. It's just you have a chance to to right the ship and feel good going into the playoffs, and they just they just didn't do it uh, in that category. So, um, 
didn't like that. And, and honestly, guys, going into the playoffs, the power play is a massive question mark right now. Um, I, it's been better of late, but from a personnel standpoint, I I don't know if the Bruins, even as we currently speak, know exactly what they want their two units to look like. I think there's going to be some tinkering uh, in the practices to come here. Um, so it, it's just kind of a close your eyes and just pray that it starts to click when uh, when the playoffs begin. Yeah, I think they're probably back to their traditional two units where you have Lindholm, Pasternak, Bergeron, Marsh, and DeBrusque, which had been their number one unit even while they were struggling and had, had finally turned the corner, taking Thursday's game out of it, I thought had looked better the last few games before that. And then that second unit, you have what? Well, I guess what will be interesting is, you know, what does the second unit look like with Hall? Because he's only had a couple games now. So whatever combination of McAvoy, Orlov, Hall, Zaka, Krejci, um, Bertuzzi. So one of those guys can't be out there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But I do feel like they've kind of resettled on that top unit. I know, you know, I talked about entertaining the idea of making essentially the check line and McAvoy and um, Bertuzzi, your top unit because of how good they looked in, you know, about four games together, but they've moved away from that. And that regular top unit with Martian and Bergeron had definitely turned the corner and started to play better. And I think they're probably going to just throw Thursday night in the trash and be like, all right, let's, Focus on all the good things you were doing for the last three or four games. Yeah, that, and that Orlov goal was a beaut. That that weird odd angle goal that he got um, was really nice. And there were some moments where um, they looked really good. Obviously, he put up five goals. You know, it's, it's, it was a high scoring game, so um, they were able to finish a lot of their opportunities. It was just they also gave up a lot. So. Um, Anyhow, did you guys want to get into before, you know, we wrap things up just a quick and I think we agreed we're going to do like a more in-depth um, playoff preview when I get back from Montreal and maybe when our Wi-Fi is better. Um, but just like initial thoughts on the Florida Bruins round one series. Well, I think the Bruins are going to be able to score. Um easier than if they were to play the Islanders. And that's kind of uh, a little bit piggybacking off Scott's uh, opinion on the matter a few, uh, a few episodes ago, but I, I, I fear that the war of attrition will take a bigger toll on Boston in the series than if they were playing the Islanders. And that's, you know, the Islanders have some big bodies too, like Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, Cal Clutterbuck, if he's healthy, that like to like to bang bodies. But I just, you know, I, I, I just have this like, uneasy feeling that that Radko Gudis is going to try to, you know, hip check somebody coming through center ice and take out somebody's, you know, hamstring or something, or, or Matthew, you know, Matthew Kachuk's going to be, you know, seeking everybody that, that has a pulse on in a Bruins sweater. So um, it's not that the Bruins don't have the guys to combat that, but you know, you can't, you can't protect everybody at, at the same time. So Matthew Kachuk, he'll be, he'll be on McAvoy. Uh, like white on rice, he'll be gunning for 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 Pashnak and and Marshan and and I just don't see those same agitators 
to that extent that cross the line like Matthew Kachuk does. And, um, and, and they have other guys too, like, like, uh, like Nick cousins uh, a couple years ago, or maybe last year with Nashville, he, uh, he got the Bruins upset with a high hit on Bergeron. Every time the Bruins play Nick cousins, he's, he's in the mix. He's not a great, he's not a great player, but he's a ball buster. And they also have um, uh, Ryan Lomberg, who's a guy that Bruins fans will get to know pretty well too over the next couple of weeks. If you don't know him, you'll, you'll see the guy with long, long brown hair buzzing around out there, hitting everything in sight too. So for me, it's the, it's the, I, I, I'm comfortable in the Bruins winning the series, obviously, not to sound uh, you know, too confident, but obviously I think the Bruins are going to win the series in like probably five or six games. But um, for me, it's the war of attrition that I, I fear playing Florida in the, in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I kind of – like I did think the Islanders had that too. I mean, they at least still have that identity line that hits everything that moves when they're on the ice, so – I sort of feel like that can happen with any team. Gudis is definitely the guy to highlight. I think he's, I think he finished the year second in the NHL in hits. So yeah, he's going to, he's going to be throwing his body around. Um, Lomberg, another university of Maine guy. Maybe, maybe he'll go, maybe he'll go easy against a Montgomery team. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, to me looking at this series, like two, two of the league's best offenses, the Panthers have a lot of high-end talent with Kachuk way up there in the league in scoring, Barkov over a point per game, great two-way center. Uh, Verhage ended up with 42 goals this year. Uh, Sam Reinhardt at 31. Um, Brandon Montour over 70 points from the blue line. Like, There's a lot of offense there. The problem for the Panthers is the Bruins are – one of the few teams that can match them offensively. Like if it turns into a shootout, the Bruins can keep up and the Bruins also happen to be the best team in terms of defense and goaltending. And the Florida Panthers are subpar in both categories. Like um, it's going to be fascinating to see what they even do in goal because this, you know, this late run that they made to get in the playoffs, it was Alex Lyon as their goalie, not Sergei Bobrovsky. Lion started their last eight games. He's 30 year old, like career AHL guy. Um, all of a sudden gets hot and Bobrovsky, their $10 million goalie is sitting on the bench, but then lion in the season finale gives up four to Carolina. So, you know, what do they do there? Like, do they still view line as the hot hand? Do they feel like they have to start, start Bobrovsky because, He's the guy that they're paying $10 million. I think that's going to be fascinating, but I think the Bruins have a huge edge defense and goaltending wise. I can see them slowing down Florida. I can't really see Florida slowing down the Bruins. So I like to be a little bit bold. So I am picking a Bruins sweep. A sweep. Wow. Yes. Okay. Well, I was just, lo- I was just going back and looking at some of the box scores from the three times that they played and they're, the Bruins did have one loss, an overtime loss, 4-3 um, to Florida. The last time they, they – actually had two. They, they, they split 2-2. Two, two. Okay, yeah, I know. I, I must have missed that last one. But, um, yeah, they also had a 7-3 win um, that they put up – you know, they put up a lot of goals. And I think that was in Florida. So um, – no, that was in Boston. Um, but – it's, it's going to be 
probably a more high scoring series. Like you guys said, um, it's, I, I, I wonder about the attrition, but either they were going to be um, favored and, um, you know, heavily favored in a series against either of those teams. So Florida had a chance and it looked like they were making a, a, a push. Um, Florida definitely did not want to draw the Bruins. Um, they were playing the Hurricanes tonight and they had a push to try to win that game. So, and by the way, the Hurricanes could have intentionally lost if they wanted um, a different matchup. Like if they wanted to play Florida, they would, or yeah, they would have just needed to let them win. And then that's who they would have been playing instead. But but Carolina had to win to win the division. If if they lost, they could have ended up facing the Rangers. That's true. I didn't even check that, but, um, but yeah, so those teams could have been the first round matchup, uh, Florida and Carolina, but instead it's going to be Carolina and the Islanders. And then the other um, spots have been set for a while, Toronto and Tampa Bay on the other matchup in the Atlantic division. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty satisfied with the way that these, uh, these, these Eastern matchups turned out. Um, I think New Jersey, the Rangers is a really cool series. Tampa, Toronto, obviously uh, we just touched on Boston, Florida. I think that'll be a more entertaining series than that of Boston, the Islanders. And then I think the Islanders and the Hurricanes, I, I do think that series has the potential to put some people to sleep just because um, just because of the way that both teams play stylistically. And, of course, the Hurricanes are without Andre Sveshnikov and Max Pacioretty, who they've been without pretty much all year. Um, but those are obviously two good offensive players that they won't have the services of. And the Islanders, I don't even know if Matt Barzell is ready to go for game one, but even if he is, they're not the most exciting offensive team. So, um but, you know, it's definitely some good series in the East. I have to double check the Western, how the West turned out. I think you have Vegas in, in Seattle. Uh, did Colorado end up taking first in, in, their, in their division? Colorado still has another game left. They play Friday night. Okay. So the, so the whole, the whole seat league isn't, isn't wrapped up yet, but the East, the East is wrapped up. Okay. Yeah. So no, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Colorado, Vegas, LA, they all still have Seattle. They all have games left. Not to look too far ahead either, obviously, but there was some news that uh, came out of Colorado that Gabe Landeskog is is out for the playoffs for Colorado. Obviously, that would assume that the Bruins make it to the Cup Finals as well as the Avalanche, uh, if it, if that were news were to impact Boston in any way, shape, or form. But it does change the landscape of the Western Conference playoffs just a little bit. The the, the Avalanche are still mightily uh, capable. But I think people were kind of hoping that Landis Cog would find his way back to the lineup and help that help that roster a little bit more. I think uh, I actually, if I would if I would give a Western Conference prediction right now, I I actually I do I do think this is the year that McDavid goes to the conference to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. I think that people here in Boston have been so enthralled with Boston and the Bruins and how they played, and I get that. But the Oilers have matched Boston's record over the last couple of months. Um, and McDavid's playing, I mean, it, it, words can't describe how he's playing. Dry settles there. They have bolstered their back end with more defensive-minded defensemen, which helps them. And, I, and so I think, I think that the Oilers will, will come out of the West this year. Um, we'll see if, if Boston meets them, but I think that's my Western Conference 
early Western Conference prediction. Yeah, I, I still don't trust the Oilers goaltending, but man, that they definitely have been playing some great hockey. Uh, to your point, they they have the best record in the NHL since the trade deadline. I think they're like at a game or half a game ahead of the Bruins. So, um, and they're tied for the I best could definitely record in the. They're tied for the best record in the are the best the most points in the West with Vegas. They both have 109. Yeah. So yeah, I could absolutely see that. I mean, I picked Bruins over Avs before the season, so I feel like I kind of have to stick with that. But would not surprise me at all if Edmonton got there. And you know what a incredible like. Edmonton's not a great market. What an incredible cup final that would be if you have the historic Bruins against historic Connor McDavid. Um, That'd be awesome, but obviously a long ways to go before uh, either one of them get there. Yeah. I mean, the two leading goal scorers this season going up against each other. Um, I was joking earlier because I saw Pasenak just walking down the street um, and I was like, doesn't he know he's in Canada? Like, People recognize him here. He's not just walking down some random street in St. Louis. Like these people know that that's Pasternak uh, because he, in Canada, uh, he's very, very famous, uh, especially, you know, any, anybody that you talk to here probably knows how many goals Pasta has. <laughs> they they did, follow things Bridget, a lot more closely. Bridget, did you almost run him over again? No, not this time. Luckily, lucky for him, I was walking. <laughs> Yeah. Um, did we set, did we say this on the podcast the other day? Yeah. Um, okay. I just wanted to make sure people would get the reference. I was pulling <laughs> into TD garden and he walked out in front of me. Um, so that's the reference, but no, he was just walking down the street and I saw Swayman just walking down the street and they're all just having a great old time walking around in the nice weather. Um, but yeah, Pasternak is a superstar and McDavid is a superstar. So that'd be a great, um, Stanley Cup matchup, if that's what it ends up being. So let's 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 backpedal a little bit um, because we did put the cart before the horse just a bit. But if the if the Bruins were to fall in round one to the Panthers, it would be because of what Scott or why Bridget. Honestly, the only thing, <laughs> the only thing I can say, see is like multiple catastrophic injuries. Like Pasternak and McAvoy both got knocked out of the series in the first two games, or like something like that. Like I, it's really hard for me to see it happening on the ice. All things equal, like Bruins being relatively healthy. I just, I have a very hard time. And like, I know, you know, I'm being a little bold, picking a, picking a sweep. Like, of course I could see the Panthers winning a game or two, but the, that team with their decent goaltending winning four out of seven, just, I have a really hard time seeing it. So to me, it would have to be like something really goes horribly wrong for the Bruins injury wise. And they, can't overcome it or whatever like on the ice it's i guess you could say like you know maybe the bruins goaltending falters right because all mark and swayman they had an awesome season but we still have to see them do it in the playoffs like that's that's fair neither one of them has gone on a long playoff run 
Neither one of them, one of them has won a series. So maybe if they falter, like that could do it. But I don't know. I feel, I feel like this Bruins team could even overcome like mediocre goaltending. So um, yeah, that, that would be it to me. Yeah, yeah. no. When you first said that, Brian, my, my head took a second to figure out like what, what actually could go wrong, but I would say multiple goalie injuries. Like I feel like, you almost have to have both of them banged up or, you know, one of them or both of them not available. Um, it's just crazy how good this team is that it would have to be something so serious. Um, other than that, I mean, I've, I'd have to go back and watch that lightning series where they got shocked by the, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets what went wrong for them? I'd, I'd have to go back and double check. Like they were another 60 plus win team and they end up getting taken out in the first round. The Bruins end up not having to play the lightning, which it looked like that was going to be the matchup. They end up playing the blue jackets instead. Um, trying to think of what went wrong for that team. There's really very few teams to compare this Bruins team to um, really, that would be the only one that I could think of. Well, what, what went wrong for them was they got outworked by a team that had a ton of character and, and, and will to win, but they also had a, a injury to Victor Hedman that didn't really help matters. I think he tried to play through it. Um, and I also think, I also think Columbus was opportunistic um, and they also got good goaltending from, from Bobrovsky that, that series. But um, you know, as it pertains to the Bruins and the Panthers, I just feel like the Bruins can lose game one and come back and win the series four games to one. I don't think the Panthers can win, can lose game one and have a chance in the series um, to beat this Bruins team. Four out of seven is tough enough to have to beat them. Uh, you know, four out of six or, or whatever the case may be. It's just, it's, it, it, be, it could become insurmountable for the Panthers. So I just think it's imperative. Um, I know I just said the Bruins could lose game one and still win. And, and I would still pick them to win if they lost game one, but, I think they're, they're just going to help their cause that much more if they come out game one and just smother smother Florida and just take care of business, plant that seed of doubt, don't give them any hope that they can get a split in Boston, go back home feeling good about themselves. Like the Bruins just got to take care, you know, one one shift at a time, one game at a time. I know it's a cliche, but like sometimes in the playoffs, like momentum's a real thing. And while it's tough to sit here and envision a team beating Boston four out of seven times, that starts to seem more realistic when it when you break it down game by game and oh shit the Panthers just squeaked out game one in overtime the Bruins are down a game like now then it starts to like then it starts to seem possible oh st stuff can go wrong so um, the Bruins are going to be tested uh, throughout the playoffs there's going to be I'm sure there will be times where the Bruins are down in the series and are on the verge of elimination like that's going to happen I'm sure um, just don't allow it to happen right away to to Florida. And I know the year the Bruins won the cup, they went down 2-0 to Montreal and Boston. Not a recipe I'm looking to to try to uh remake though. Yeah, it just yeah, and, I think, the... Go ahead. and I think the, the other thing that happened to that Tampa team is like even though they had a couple guys who had sort of been there for deep runs, you know, Stamkos obviously they when they faced adversity they did not respond well at all whether it was the headman injury whether it was losing a game like whatever it was bad calls like they seemed to just 
let frustration overcome them. Um, I remember Kucherov taking like a couple of really stupid penalties in that series. And it was like, they just totally lost their composure at the first sign of adversity. And that's where, you know, when people bring up like, Oh, you know, it'd be good if the Bruins go through adversity during the season. Like there is some merit to that. Um, but I don't think this, like that lightning team, it almost took that for them to then learn over the next year and be ready to win the cup the next year. I don't think this Bruins team would need that extra year. Like I think they know how to respond to adversity. I think their leadership is good enough that like, if they do go down a game or even two, not saying like they're definitely going to come back and win the series, but I don't think they're going to roll over. I don't think they're going to let frustration take over and totally lose their cool. Like, I think, I think they would at least know how to respond, how to try to get back on track and keep it on the rails. I just don't know how many home playoff losses they're going to have. They've been so good at home. They only have four regulation losses at home all year. So it's going to be really hard to steal a game in Boston. Um, and when, when you're the Bruins and you have home ice advantage, that means in order for someone to win a series, they do have to steal at least one from you, um, at home. Uh, so that plays into their favor as well. The fact that they're so good at, at home, it, it pretty much everything plays into their favor. Um, and that's why it's so hard to come up with stuff that could sink the ship. It would have to take a major choke, a major change in character, something we haven't seen from him the entire season, horrible injuries. Like it would, it would have to take a lot because the defense is so good. Probably the best decor in the league. Um, probably the deepest team in the league, including at the goalie position. Uh, it's really hard to imagine them not making a deep run. It's really hard to imagine them exiting in the first round. Um, so I, I know like we have this debate on the radio, like me and Jones were, getting into it a little bit the other day about the goaltending and how they're not, they're not tested in the playoffs yet, but like, okay, Swayman's a young goalie. Um, Olmark played on a Buffalo team that wasn't a playoff team. So he didn't get playoff experience. Then I just don't even think that that is going to matter. Um, the fact that neither of them have won a playoff series. I think they both shown this season that they can make some really incredible timely saves. Um, and I think they both have been treating the last, you know, little bit as if it was playoffs. And, and honestly, throughout the year, you can kind of see them bringing the consistency with how they play. So I I disagreed that goaltending was such a big issue. Um, but there really is it really is kind of hard to to pick anything in particular. So well I mean the only thing I'll say is every every statistical category that the Bruins have excelled in this year leaps and boundaries above everybody else. It's it's awesome. It's amazing. It doesn't mean it's going to translate to the postseason unless they are playing on their toes and are ready to play playoff style hockey. And I know that they have the character and the veteran leadership to relay that message going into the postseason. It's not that they don't know that, but knowing it and doing it are two different things. And and everybody is back is back to square one in the postseason. Yes, the Bruins. The only thing that the regular season has done for this Boston Bruins team, quite frankly, when it, when it comes to the postseason, it's a lot of them home ice throughout, and it's given Vegas uh, their betting odds and that the Bruins are going to be the favorite every single time. But you can't rely on anything that you accomplish in the, in the regular season because it's, it's 
unfortunately, it's irrelevant now. It, you have to go out there and do it. And they have to be ready to play. I do think it's not concerning, but it's like the one the, the one negative about having such a historic regular season is the lack of meaningful games down the stretch. And and it's just that's just a, an objective like, you know, outlook on things. I, I bet that ailed Tampa too that year. Um, so they just have to be ready to go at the puck drop and, and, and play playoff ready hockey. You cannot, you cannot wait till game three because you weren't ready for it. So they'll be ready for it. I'm just saying like, this is, these are the thoughts that go through my mind. Like what, what could go wrong? They've done so well at everything all year. Well, that's why it's kind of like scary. Cause it's like, well, is that going to, is everything going to keep going that well for them in the playoffs? Like something's going to give at some point. Right especially when the game style changes. Like, I guarantee you David Pasternak is going to have to, you know, work 10 times harder to get the looks in the, in the playoffs that he gets in the regular season. And that, and I know he's a point-per-game guy in the playoffs throughout his career, um, maybe even a little bit more. I'm just saying, like, it, the game is going to change and they just have to be ready for it. And I think they will be. I'm just, just kind of stating the obvious as we, get in, as we gear up for Monday night. Mm-hmm. So with that, I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts. We're we're going on about an hour here. I know we kind of want to save some takes for um, maybe later this weekend, but I'll, I'll throw it back to you guys. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm good. Yeah, I'm no, tired. Think- I'm, oh, Scott, he must be lagged. Um, I'm. I'm tired. I am. I think we covered a lot. Um, we'll do a deeper dive. Um, go back, look through a bunch of stuff. Um, in terms of matchup with the Panthers um, to come, because we have a few days before the Bruins play again and start the first round. So um, in terms of stuff that happened here in Montreal, I think we've already gotten all the important stuff out. Um, so yeah, I'm good. Scott, final thought. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll probably have, we should have one practice at least before our next recording. So, you know, we'll maybe get some updates there about, Felino, Forbert, see if anything has changed on Bergeron, Elmar, Krejci, obviously. You hope it remains that they're all fine. There's nothing to worry about. So, um, yeah, we'll be recording that sometime this weekend. That we will. All right, Bridget, you know the deal. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you very soon.